The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for reminding us that you are the one that brings, that gives to us healing and grace that we long for. We hunger for this. We have an ache within us that needs to be made whole, that it needs to be turned and changed, and you do it. Bless your name. Thank you for reminding us of that. We come to your word here this morning and we pray that you would use it in that process of of delivering to us healing and grace, of restoring us, of making us different than we are, more like we should be, which is what we want. Today we consider the subject of the body still, again, and what we want, Lord, Maybe not always right in the service, but what we want inside is we want to be a part of a people in union with you, our God. That is how you made us, and that is the work you have been pursuing forever. To make a people and be their God. You're up to that even now, and I pray, Lord, work that in us. Fix us where we stray from it. Heal us. Pour out grace on us. Lord, we have a passage before us this morning. Use that, please. And I pray, as it is familiar to many of us, would you give us grace that enables us to pay attention to it? Sometimes it is hard to see that which is familiar, and so I pray, help us to see it. Alert us to what you have here in this. And by your Spirit, what this passage tells us how you, by your Spirit, are at work in your body. And I ask you that your Spirit would be commissioned right now to move among us and have His way in our hearts. To convict where necessary and to comfort where necessary. I pray that even right now, Spirit of God, right now, as necessary, would you move through the room and touch sin in us that we would forsake it and sit clean and open and surrendered to you. Do that work now. Where there are some in the room here who don't know you at all, would you point that out to them, alert them to the fact, and show them Christ is a great Savior. Where there are some here in the room who who come to this downtrodden and weak because of the the recent events in their lives or because of, of the habitual way they look at themselves. Would you speak encouragement and comfort to all of us? Call us after you. Heal us by your grace. Make your word clear. Give me the ability to communicate it, I ask. I pray this, that Christ may be glorified in our midst and this body may become whole for our good, for your glory. In Christ's name I pray it. Amen. Today we turn our attention 
to the last half of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as we do so, we find that we are, are still in the, the flow of the, the general nature of the last couple of chapters, talking about the body at worship, communicating to the church how we are to think of ourselves as individuals in a larger group that is made up of a whole bunch of different people with different personalities and different abilities and different backgrounds, and particularly here, different spiritual gifts. We started in on the subject of spiritual gifts last week, the beginning of the chapter, and we noticed throughout, you can see this especially in verse 11, that gifts of grace, it's kind of the the root word behind this idea of spiritual gifts, is things of grace, that gifts of grace are given by God through the Spirit to every single Christian. Everybody, every single Christian has a a thing of grace, has a a gift of grace from God to him, to her. And so in that sense, as we commented on from verse 3, we all are spiritual. Every single Christian has God the Spirit at work in his or her life. So there's there's a a level ground there. There's there's an equal, there's, there's a united, and at the same time there is a great difference, of course, because we all have different gifts. All of them, a great variety. And that unity with diversity is now given a little bit more color as we move into this very familiar body analogy in the last half of chapter 12. So we're going to look at that today. Look at this analogy of the body and what it is that Paul is trying to communicate. But I'm going to begin reading actually in verse 4, backtracking into what I read last week, because I want to, I want to get the two lists of gifts there's a list of gifts I didn't really talk much about last week, and then there's another list of gifts at the end of chapter 12, and I want to get both of those that bracket the body so that I can talk about and say a few things about the gifts themselves and how they fit into the larger discussion. So I'm going to be, begin reading in verse 4, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit... And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, 
God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? We'll stop there this week. Obvious answer to the last question is no. No, he hasn't made everybody the same. No, he hasn't given everybody the same. There is a great difference in this one body. This, this passage is dominated by, by two kind of major movements. At the front and the back, there's, there's the movement of the gifts, discussing these gifts, listing them out. And in the middle is the analogy of the body. So we have to talk about both of these sections regarding the gifts first. As I said last week, the way these lists are presented tells us several things. First and foremost, we need to be aware that, that the gifts themselves are not the focus. They are not the, the main deal here in this passage, and we have to be very careful to not give all of our attention to it and, and miss the larger issue. These two gift lists are different from each other. They're different from the other three gift lists in the New Testament. There's, a, there's just a certain degree of randomness to it that makes it feel like Paul's just saying, here's some things God gives to the church. A certain degree of randomness there. But not complete randomness. The fact that each of these lists ends with the gift of tongues, it even when you look at the, at the one in 28, 9, and 30, how he lists it kind of twice, he, he lists things out and then asks questions, both halves end in tongues. And the fact then that when he moves into chapter 14, he talks about tongues and prophecy, and especially tongues, probably is meant to indicate that tongues is a problem. Tongues is, is a problem in Corinth, and it particularly relates to the issue that we're going to look at in this chapter today. So I'm not really going to talk about tongues. We'll say more about that when we get to chapter 14. But there's something special there. I'm kind of putting a little marker out there that I'll, that I'll catch later. But I will say, with that being said, and kind of putting tongues and prophecy off to 14, I will say that we need to look a little bit at these lists to kind of understand something. I think it will be helpful to notice. There are different sorts of gifts here. Some of these gifts would be of the type of gift that would be publicly recognized, publicly respected, maybe given a little bit of a claim, but probably wouldn't carry the, the mark of 
blatantly supernatural. The gifts of utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge, for instance. If you think about what those words mean in, in Corinthians, think of wisdom. Previous chapters connected to the gospel. God's wisdom, Christ crucified. Knowledge relates a little bit in chapter 8 to how to kind of live out some of the application of the gospel. So the gifts of utterance of knowledge and wisdom probably should relate in our minds more closely to things like teaching and biblical counseling. Respected? Publicly seen? Maybe somebody might say, man, God is in that. But not really supernatural. Other gifts the same. Where he says, for instance, gifts of healings. Two plurals. Multiple types of gifts of multiple types of healings. Some of them respected, but not overtly supernatural. Medical doctors. That's God healing. Realize it's not separate from God. God heals through medical doctors. Again, respected, not overtly supernatural. That's kind of one category. And there's another category which would be more overtly supernatural. Other gifts of healings. Somebody puts a hand on somebody and he walks. Comes back to life. Other Gifts of miracles, obviously, overtly supernatural. Maybe even the discerning of spirits might be a supernatural element there. There's that category. Tongues and prophecy fall into this. The type of stuff that people call signs and wonders. The second category. Public, out there, seen, and overtly supernatural. And then there's a third category of gifts. It comes up in in 28. Things like helping and administrating. Often not public, rarely thought of as overtly supernatural, yet in the context, clearly a gift from God the Spirit. Nobody ever called any of that a sign and wonder. But it's a gift from the Spirit. When you stack it up, though, against some of the other gifts... What happens? People start talking or start observing. What's your gift? I work miracles. Wow. Think about this. Probably wouldn't quite go like this, but, but we see it, we think about it. I work miracles. What do you do? I heal. I speak in the tongues of men and angels. I stand in front of hundreds of people and utter to them wisdom about the gospel. I make sure all the PowerPoint slides come up in the right order. And that all the bulletins get folded and handed out every week. I administer that. I help young mothers with their kids. And I even change the diapers if it's needed. Wow. About that tongues thing. What about tongues? That's really interesting. Can we talk more about that? nobody's thinking, as I work through this gift list, nobody's thinking, explain for me, will you, more of the details of the gift of help? Everybody's thinking about tongues and miracles. Even in talking about these things, we bump into the problem. Classes develop in the church. Two general classes of public seen, acclaimed, respected, clearly the work of God. And is that really even a spiritual gift? 
Maybe. But, but what about this? This, oh, this is interesting. You see the two classes? They invariably, no matter how many gifts there actually are, and no matter what each of them actually means, and no matter how they are displayed today, or some might ask if they are displayed today, at the end of the day, these two classes always develop. Didn't Corinth, does today. And ironically, what, it, what is meant to be this gracious work of God in our midst becomes fertile soil for division. Ironically. But we are to be one body. Which shows up, of course, in the analogy of the body. It's extended throughout the middle of this. He uses this analogy to speak to two groups in the church. The two sides of this division. And and I'm going to call them today the haves and the have-nots. You can call them whatever you want. The, The seemingly spiritual and the seemingly unspiritual the gifted and the ordinary, the inside and the outside, whatever you want, these two categories, I'm going to call them the haves and the have-nots. The first paragraph, 14 to 20, speaks to the have-nots. Notice how they describe themselves there as what they have not. I'm not this. I'm not that. Therefore, I don't belong. It's the, the first the first half of this divide. I'm not, a, I'm not a hand. I'm not an eye. And Paul says, on the contrary, the one body of which you are a part, it needs you. If you, if you're, if you were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? He's using this analogy to point out the body's need for you. But then even more than that, verse 18, which echoes verse 11 from before. Brother, sister, God has arranged the body exactly this way as He chose. He has personally, individually been at work in you and on you exactly like He wanted to. Rest in His sovereign choice of the gift that He gave you. He doesn't doesn't give you bad gifts. He does good to you always. Rest in His sovereign bestowing of a gift, arranging of the body, just like He has. Rest in that. Which applies also to the second half of the people. the, The haves in 21 and 26. This one is an I, verse 21. And He would dare to say, I don't need you. Not in a, I'm alone or I want to be all by myself, but in an, I don't need you because I've got this covered sort of sense. I am gifted. I'll take it from here. No, 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 no. You do need that one, Paul says. That one right there is, in fact, indispensable. It's the point he makes with them. And in fact, you, you have you should take extra care to bestow honor, to to cover, to care for this other one. That's how God designed the body. Think of our human bodies. That's how we work with with the, the more modest parts. We take extra care with them. He has designed the church, the body, in that same way, so composing the body, verse 24, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division. The final goal, that there may be no division. That the body would care for one another. When one part hurts, the whole body would hurt. When one part rejoices, the whole body would rejoice. That's his goal. That with many different parts, we all would live together and serve together as one, sharing 
having common cause with each other. The body. That's the passage. I think what he wants to say to us is brother, sister, he would say it, son, daughter. I beseech you, love and serve the one body like I do. Like I do. Love and serve this one body like God does. That's the point I'm going to work towards this morning in two observations. The first one's concerned with the unity aspect. So here's my first point. All Christians have been spirit baptized by God the Father into the one body of Christ. All of us. All Christians have been spirit baptized by God the Father into the one body of Christ. Verse 12, we meet the analogy of the body. He says at the end of the verse, talking about this one body with many parts, many members, so it is with Christ. You see that at the end there? One of the problems with a passage like this is that we're so familiar with it, we, we think we know it, and it's hard to see it actually. But notice something. He does not say at the end of 12, so it is with the body of Christ. That would be a very understandable parallel. Here's a body with many parts. That's exactly like it is with the body of Christ. But the body of Christ doesn't come up until later. Verse 27. Here he just says, so it is with Christ. You can make a lot out of one word if you think about it. Think about that. Paul writes something there which should make us think of the first time he bumped into this reality. Paul, when he was still called Saul, you read about this in Acts 9. Saul, going down the road to Damascus, what's he doing? Persecuting the church. Chasing down individual Christians to imprison them or otherwise hurt them for following Jesus. And Jesus, of course, you know the story, interrupts his day and says, Saul, why do you persecute me? At that moment, Jesus tells Paul something that he brings up again here in this letter to Corinth. That for Jesus' perspective, the people, the body, me, so closely knit into this people that Jesus can say, me. You're persecuting that one and that one. Yeah, yeah, that's, you're persecuting me. There is a very, very interesting and sweet union here. We must be careful. Often when we think of body of Christ, we run off to the body part and we think collection of people. We start thinking about people. Run off to the body of Christ part. Think about Jesus. Because he says, this is so closely tied to me that I will call it by my own name. Me. And think about that. Because, brothers and sisters, you have no 
right whatsoever to be in on that. That Jesus would say, I have a people that are so dearly precious and so closely tied to me that I will put my name on them and call them my own. You have have zero access to that in and of yourself. The only way you are in that is by an alarming, beautiful work of God. So run off away from this particular context. We're going to come back to this context, and I think, I hope, you see why this is important. Run off away from this context and think about what God did to make you a part of this Christ. And if you're not a Christian, this could be true of you if you'll surrender your life to Him. But for most of us here, this is your story. That while you were not anywhere remotely near being joined to Him, but instead alienated from Him and an enemy of His, He acted, sent the Son into the world to absorb onto Himself the wrath that fell on you. You have to live with this front and center in your mind always because it should shock you. And you'll see why this matters for the body. Really? God graciously saved you while you were yet a sinner. Christ died for you. While you were alienated, God acted to reconcile you. You. Even you. The verse 13 says, In one spirit we were all baptized into one body, immersed in, stuck into, submerged in one body. Contrary to what some say, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this verse next week. For now, contrary to what some say, this is not, this is not a second step of Christianity. This is Christianity. All baptized into one body, by the Spirit, into this body. You even, He has watered you, made you to drink of, watered you with the Spirit of God. You are person, a human being, drawn up near to the eternal one, filled with God, the Spirit himself, you even. He has saved you by his own initiative, by his own work, by grace from first to last, not according to anything you had done that no one would boast. You were put into this entity that Jesus so closely associates with that He will put His own name on it and will identify Himself intimately with it. You've been included in that. Filled with the Spirit of God. You're you're forever different. You are forever changed. You are one of the people 
with whom he has made covenant, for whom he has a wide, long, high, deep, vast, unending, passionate affection. Christ, the body. His hands and His feet in this world. Imaging Himself here in this world. That is what has happened to you. And look around to the next one over. And the next one, and the one in that row, the whole row in front of you. Now, I realize that some here don't know Christ, but most of us do. God cares about this people so much so that He sent His own Son, saved them, put them into a body, put His Spirit in them, and calls them by and looks at them through Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you see how significantly out of step with Him you are? if you do not live and breathe discerning this body. That is, I'm using a phrase from chapter 11, giving careful attention and thought to how I may love and how I may serve and how I may lay down my life for this people, this Christ. We are way way out of tune with God and with what God is passionate about, what He, what he is committed to, if we think, when we think, that I will have a personal, individual relationship with God apart from this body that is significantly out of step, so much out of step that one should ask of a professing Christian who is not plugged into and committed to a body, how do you know you are a Christian? Because that is so far out of step with God's agenda here now. Brothers and sisters, it is a grievous thing to repudiate God's declared agenda to make a people in whom He works and dwells, of whom you are a part, to say, no thank you. It's a grievous thing. Now, I want to say this very, very carefully. It does not matter if you are an introvert. It does not matter if you do really well by yourself. God made you like that and still made you a part of the body. It'll be different how you get involved with the, with, than the gregarious person, but you are to be a part of the body. You cannot, it, it is impermissible, it is sin to say, I will live separate from. I will carry on my Christian life not discerning this. It is tantamount to saying, I will not discern Christ. 
I will not give careful attention and thought to him and what he is about and how I may love and serve him and honor him. This is of great importance. Because every, everything else about how different people work together is based on an assumption that within us we buy the whole thing. I want to work together. I, I want to figure out how to be a part of this thing. There's no point in talking about how to do that if you don't actually want to do that. But think you will be fine carrying on on your lonesome. So maybe some of us need to repent. Perhaps repent of some, some, some clear, strong resistance to the body. Perhaps repent of, of kind of a more accidental neglect. So it is with Christ. A people that He is so passionately connected to. A people that He has put you in, poured His Spirit on you to empower you to work among. Differently, with different gifts, which takes us to the second point. The diversity half. The second observation is related to the diversity in this section. So here's the second point. All of the body's diverse members are to care for one another like God does. All the body's diverse members are to care for one another like God does. This comes out of the body analogy in verses 14 and following. Obviously there's great diversity in the one body. Gender and background and and socioeconomic class, education, etc. But there's also obviously this gift, this gift difference. So he's got another obvious point he's making here about how all the different gifts are valuable. All the different gifts contribute. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Obviously we need ears. If we were all a single member, where would we be? Verse 19, thankfully we're not. We're all different. And God, verse 18, has made it that way. So, clearly that's here. A body working together with all these various diverse gifts. But you can probably guess as I'm, as I, how I'm saying this, that's not what we're going to be emphasizing here because it's not actually at the center of this body analogy, the main point. It's here. But notice something. When he reiterates the usefulness of the different gifts. Which paragraph is that in? The one written to the have-nots or the one written to the haves? To the have-nots. The first paragraph. The one who's tempted to say, I'm just an ear, not an eye. He says, we need ears. Where would be the sense of hearing if we didn't have an ear? We need that. In other words... God has given you a gift just like He wanted, verse 18, just like He chose. And it is a necessary gift. It is needed. Giving of honor. It is important. It is, it is what helps our body to prosper and thrive. Giving of honor. So take heart, brother, sister. And then the next paragraph, 
He does not say, and those of you who have, we need those gifts too, so take heart. They already do take heart. They know their gift is needed. Look at this. 20 and 20, I mean 21 and 22. What does he say to the haves? Their gift is necessary. Give heart. He doesn't talk about the, need, the needfulness of their, of their have gifts, of those that are publicly recognized and acclaimed and, and naturally built up and given a status. He says to those people, you need them. Give honor to them. Lift them up. Point out to them the work of God in their lives like I just did speaking the Word of God to them. He does it, modeling it, and then tells the other half of the church, do that. Treat them with great honor. Point out in them the use of, of their gift from God in the body. This is very interesting. So I have to admit, as I looked at this, I had not seen that before. I had thought of this body analogy as mostly about the usefulness of our different gifts, which is there. But the main point, I will model it. You have a gift. It is needed. It is critical. It is given by God in particular to you. They have a gift. It is needed. It is given by God to them. Live acknowledging and honoring that. So that God has composed the body, this is 24, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it so that there would be no division in the body. But that members may have the same care for one another. What's the point? The point is not fundamentally to emphasize the needfulness of all the gifts. The point fundamentally is to honor and care for everybody in this group. So that there would be no division, but would be unity in this diversity. So which category are you in? We're in different categories. If, if you're one in the, how in the world can I be useful? What, what does God do through me? I have no idea. I'm not really sure why I'm here even. I certainly am not a benefit. If that's you, what this text says to you is, yes, you are. You are a benefit. You are needed. And you are a person in whom God the Spirit is at work, upon whom His hand is resting, in whom He has put a gift. What is it exactly? I don't know. Last week we talked about what, what do you do? What, what do you do that as you do it, you, you think, I sense here some usefulness, some help, some maybe blessing of God on this. Do that then. 
What, what is the name of that gift? I don't know. It really isn't important that we have a name for it. It's important that we be involved living in and blessing the people. So do that. And if you're in one, you're one in the category, I have a pretty good sense of what I do, that I'm needed, then guard against arrogance. Be on guard against arrogance. Particularly spiritual arrogance that says, I am used of God. This has been going on forever. Brothers and sisters, it's been going on forever in churches, this divide. I've seen it in our church here. It looks kind of like this. I'll, I'll use the word charismatic. Not meaning that in an official theological sense, but maybe. There's sometimes there's some overlap between charismatic people and those who hold charismatic theology. Sometimes a charismatic person or someone with a charismatic theology carries around with them a sense of God is with me. And if He was with you, you'd be like me. And sometimes that is the official theology of some branches of the charismatic movement. If God was with you, you would be like me. Watch that, deliberately communicated or inadvertently communicated. When the person who has the gift of administration sits down with the time sheet, of we, we've planned the meeting, retreat, whatever, to look like this and to follow this agenda because we've got other things that happen to need to follow, follow on. We've got a meal that's coming. We've got kids in the nursery. Be very careful charismatic person of responding to that as if it is automatically anti-Holy Spirit. If you were really spiritual, you'd be like me and let God move. Be free with the time. I, I know I'm treading in some tricky waters here. And I know there is such a thing as a human being wanting to be controlling of the clock and resisting the Spirit. I know that. All I'm arguing is that that is not always the case. And it might even be that God the Spirit has gifted that person in a way that is making him or her mindful of the difficulty in the nursery. How do we resolve that problem? By loving and caring and honoring each other. And assuming the best, assuming that you also, person who's concerned about the clock, you also want God the Spirit honored. We assume that until we find otherwise. And conversely, the person who seems to be maybe a little more free and a little more loose, for some of us who are conservative, that's difficult. Seems flamboyant, showy, look at me. Can we assume the best? Can we care for that person? 
the answer to that actually is no. We can't and we won't in and of ourselves. We can't and we won't because of our fallenness and our bent towards selfish pride. If we are to overcome division in the body, division along spiritual lines, spiritual gifts, division along financial lines from chapter 11, if we are to overcome division in the body, we have to run ourselves back to the upper room and see one people, one body with whom God makes covenant, on whom He pours His Spirit. If, if we don't live there, if the wonder of what God has done at the cross does not dominate our thinking, we will certainly revert to a self-orientation. It is how we are made. So it is empty of me to exhort us. It is, it is empty of anybody to exhort a people. Why don't you care for one another? That would be helpful. Be nice. Assume the best. That, that will not happen. Unless God so lives in me and so controls me that I see everything through Him. And I see this people as not just the body, but I see it as Christ. And I am so then concerned for Christ, looking at what He has done for me, what He promises me, how He holds me. I'm so concerned for that, that I look at you as Him. And I weep for what makes Him weep. I rejoice at what makes Him rejoice. Which is the hope in verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That happens as I come to you through Jesus. And it only happens as I come to you through Jesus. So there's a point here. To love and care for the one body as God does. But you only get to the as God does part as you draw near to Him. Or changed by Him. Please. Brother, sister. Please. For all of our sake. For the honor of Christ here, will you please? For your own good. Really, it's for your own good. Please. Deal with God open and surrendered. Earnest, panting after Him. You read the Psalms. I read Psalm 27 this morning. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Please, live concerned for that. If you don't, the rest of this will not happen. It cannot happen. But if you will live eager to sit in His presence, to go find Him, to be earnest about that, if you will chase Him like that, you will find water for your own soul and then you will find a change in you towards the body. And you will love it like He does. Mourn with it when He mourns. You'll know that thing that within you you desire, community. You'll know it in holiness and in righteousness. You know it pure and good and right. Change your life. But you have to run to the upper room and live there with Him and remember Him. Let me pray. God, there is something here before us that is impossible. The bestowing of honor on others and the caring for others. Lord, it's impossible if you don't empower it. Will you change us, please? Will you bring to us, your people, a great conviction that we are meant to live as a part of a people. Bring that to us and then empower it. You show us your goodness. Spirit of God, we need you to do that. We need you to make us what we are to be. So that's what I pray for. You bring the healing the grace to us that we long for but can't get on our own. Thank you, Lord. I trust myself and this people to you. Pray for your will to be done here. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.